it's one of the reasons I wanted to be at this size institution, being at a place where we have a little over 100 employees. I can know everybody and get to know my team and understand them. And that's that's the way I've always approached management is to get to know everyone on my team, not just as workers, but as human beings, as individuals. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Yes. Yes. So I have a question for you. Yes. You went to college. I did. You graduated. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) What degrees do you hold? I hold a bachelor's degree in theme park management and a master's in hospitality and tourism. So you would say, based on what you do now, that your degrees very well line up with your current career. I would say so. Yes. Yeah. What, what about you? What are your degrees? <laughs> well, I only have one, um, but it is in um, audio engineering. Okay. So music well, production. I think that some of that ties into what you do now, <laughs> at least, you know, in the context of the Attraction Pros podcast. <laughs> in editing videos and, and audio and things like that. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, I actually started off as a music education major and then switched over to music production. But the reason I ask is because so often you hear about people who have a degree in something, they go to school, they go to college, and then they don't use that degree. They go into some completely different um, line of work. And our guest today actually says that, you know, thinking about his degree, maybe it doesn't line up, but I think it kind of does. So our guest today is Richard Glover, the CEO of the Central Florida Zoo and Botanical Garden, and he's got a degree in psychology. And um, when we talked about it, he said, you know, really, there are a lot of parallels into what he does now as a leader when it comes to relationships and team dynamics and things like that. So there's absolutely a tie-in, but he's also done work in the horse racing industry and um, uh, Space Center Houston. So probably a lot of opportunity to use that that knowledge of how people work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And his whole uh, career story is is just so fascinating. You know, he, he starts telling us about his degree in psychology and then working in the, the horse racing industry in a, in a marketing and communications role uh, and then finding his passion for animals and conservation and uh, uh, really recognizing the amount of endangered species that you know we have, we have an opportunity to help save, and that passion really sparked the the rest of his career, starting out as a, a volunteer at the zoo in Waco, Texas, uh, and then moving to Corpus Christi, where he uh, oversaw uh, marketing at the Texas State Aquarium, and then moved to Tampa to uh, oversee marketing the Florida Aquarium, and then back to Houston, uh, where he worked at the Space Center Houston and oversaw marketing there as well. And then, uh, and then most recently, as of this recording, it was uh, just in the last few months, took on the role of CEO at the Central Florida Zoo and Botanical Gardens. 
And what I think is so cool about that, and you'll get to hear Richard talk a little bit about it, is how that passion developed, you know, at first and, you know, working with horses in the horse racing industry and then seeing all these species that were, were becoming endangered and what he did you know, to, to kind of ignite the passion and, and, and really live it. You know, a lot of people that work in the zoo industry, not everybody, but quite a few, they have, you know, experiences with animals when they're young and they kind of grow up, you know, really loving animals. And you hear that as part of their origin story about why they're working with animals now. Um, Richard's is a little different. And so it was really interesting to hear how he went about kind of fulfilling this passion that he was was di discovering and how that has led to his career uh, since then. Yeah. And, and then with his background in marketing, tying in with, with what he's doing now, we talk about storytelling a lot. And in fact, telling complicated stories, because when you have, when you have animals and you're doing uh, certain conservation initiatives, uh, it can be a, a challenge to be able to communicate that to the general public when, especially from a marketing standpoint, our attention span is very short, needs to be bite-sized, needs to be easily digestible, but at the same time needs to needs to tell that message and tell that story. So we talk about, you know, telling complicated stories. We talk about the importance of understanding your audience, which is fascinating because uh, that's definitely, I would say, a marketing terminology, but we even tie it in with leadership and from, from the employees and the staff uh, that he's working with the, at the zoo and being able to uh, manage the individual characteristics of, of everyone as an individual. Uh, and then we get to hear a, a lot of really good executive leadership advice as well. So this is a, a fantastic interview where we, we cover a lot of ground. Absolutely. So if you need it in bite-sized pieces, uh, I would say just go ahead and listen to a little bit, stop listen to a little bit, stop, listen to a little bit, stop. But I don't think you're going to want to do that. I think you're going to want to listen to this entire interview. I want to go back and listen to it again. So what do you say we jump right in? Let's jump right in. And then uh, let's just go back and listen to it again. And again. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really looking forward to our conversation today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, we're uh, we're excited as well. So to kick things off here, uh, Richard, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, tell us about your your career and what you're doing now? Sure. So I, I've taken a little bit of a long winding road to get to where I am now. Um, I you know I graduated from college. I had a bachelor's in psychology. Had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, my dad had a heart attack right after I got out of college, so I ended up working for his mortgage company and running it for him for a while and knew that that was not what I wanted to do. I'd known that since I was about 12 years old. So um, I started doing freelance writing about horse racing because it was something I fell in love with. And that ended up spiraling into a 20 year career in the horse racing industry. Um, you know, everything from marketing, communications, running associations, uh, actually being working press. So um, did a lot of different things in the horse racing industry and, and really loved it. But then around, around 2000, a little after 2000, I started seeing articles on the internet about all the species that were disappearing. And when I did, it just, I started reading more and more and learning more and more and thinking how sad this is that kids are going to grow up never seeing these animals, never understanding what these animals did. And then the more I learned, understanding that without those animals, the ecosystems they were in were completely changed. And that would affect everything, including even our food chain. So um, as I learned those things, I started to realize this is something I'm interested in, something I want to be part of is to help save these species. So I kept kind of digging around the internet and finding things. And I eventually found the Association of Zoos and Aquariums website. 
And so I joined AZA just as an individual member at that point and thought, well, how can I get involved? And I really wasn't sure. And at the time I was living in Austin, Texas, and we didn't have a zoo anywhere near. And so I thought, well, okay. You know, I was young at that point, ambitious. And I was like, I'm going to get a zoo built here in Austin, Texas. <laughs> so, you know, economy is going great at that point. And I'm thinking, okay, I can find investors. I can find people that want to do this. Um, that was around 2008. That, uh, that dream died pretty quickly when the economy went south. So, um, but the passion was still there. The understanding that this is something I wanted to do. And so I was like, how do I do this from Austin, Texas? There is not a AZA facility within an hour and a half of me. So I decided, I was working out of my house at that time. I decided to start volunteering at the Cameron Park Zoo, which is in Waco, an hour and a half away from Austin. And that was my first time to actually spend time in a zoo other than just as a guest. And I went to volunteer orientation and I started to talk to the people that worked there. And I knew almost immediately, these are my people. This is the kind of place I belong. So I did that and I did, I, I worked, you know, all kinds of weekends and, 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 you know, taking days off so I could go in and do things. And I just grew a real passion for it and, and grew a real passion for educating people about the animals and the environment and really, you know, making sure those animals are well taken care of. And so after I'd done that for about a year, an opportunity popped up at the Texas State Aquarium in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, they were looking for a director of marketing communications and what they needed matched my skill set. And so I rolled the dice and said, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And I was fortunate enough to get hired for that position. And so that started my full time career in the zoo and aquarium industry. So I spent about five years there, um, moved on from there and went to the, the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, was there for a couple of years, um, had some family issues and so decided to go back to Texas to take care of those. So I spent three and a half years at Space Center Houston, which was a little bit of a departure. Uh, COVID hit and that was a stark reminder that I wasn't doing what I loved um, and I wasn't able to help the industry I loved the way I wanted to at that time. Uh, so, you know, after that, I really made the decision, okay, it's time for me to get back out there and look for a way to get back into zoos and aquariums. This opportunity here at the Central Florida Zoo and Botanical Gardens popped up and had a recruiter reach out to me and I started really looking into it. And this just really felt like a place that's the right size for me. We've got a, a staff of a little over a hundred. I wanna be somewhere that I can know everyone and really have a relationship with my staff. Um, and, and there's just a lot of factors that made me realize this is a place that has a really bright future and there's a lot of things we can achieve and it's, it's in a good place, a good jumping off spot to take it to that next level. And so I saw an opportunity here to do something where I can really dig in and make a difference. That's really why I'm in this. I wanna make a difference. I wanna help save species. I wanna help communities understand the importance of sustainability, um, you know? And so it just, it was a really good match from that. And, and having lived in Florida before, Kind of knew what I was getting into, although I will say Tampa had a breeze that uh, Orlando seems to lack. Um, but uh, so far, it's been great. That's awesome, Richard. Well, you sound like a guy that doesn't have big goals at all. No, not at right? all. You, you wanted to build a build a zoo in in Austin. Now you you know you're all about sustainability and and conservation. Obviously really important goals, uh, but also really big goals and and communicating and educating people on that. Um, so. At the time of this recording, you've been at the um, Central Florida Zoo for a short time. So what's your experience been like there? And what kind of impact have you been able to make in that short time? It's, it's been great. Um, you know, I 
when I interviewed, one of the things that really struck me was both the board and the staff. And I was a, fortunate enough to be able to interview with staff at every level. I really appreciated they included that when I was doing it. But, you know, I really could see the passion and the excitement in the team and the willingness they were all open to. We want someone new to come in and change and lead. And so, you know, it, it was a really warm welcome from everybody on that end and openness to new ideas, which you don't always see, especially, you know, whether it's the board or staff, sometimes one is open and the other isn't. But, you know, there's a real openness. I think everyone sees that there's an opportunity here and we're at a time to seize it. And so, um, so far I would say, you know, the biggest change for me coming on board is I am, you know, the board wanted somebody to be more externally focused. Um, and so I am really working hard to make sure I'm out in the communities, meeting community leaders, spending time with our elected officials, getting them to come out here and, and come to the zoo and talk about the things we're doing. Um, you know, really trying to connect those kind of ways um, to, to make us have a little more presence in the community. And then of course, with my marketing and communications background, I, I can't help but look at all this and go, there's so many great stories here, so, many, so much great work that's being done that the stories haven't been told. That just hasn't been a focus up to this point. So that's one of the things that I'm starting to bring to the table is getting people to think in terms of storytelling and not just getting the work done. Mm. Richard, one of the things that I'm I'm curious about is, and this is kind of going back to to your career trajectory and, uh, like you said, the long and winding road to you know to get to where you are. Uh, when you went from Waco to Corpus Christi, you said that the, the Texas State Aquarium uh, was looking for someone with, with your skill set. Uh, you were talking about your degree in psychology and your passion for, for the animals and conservation. Uh, where was the marketing tie-in with that? Or, or I would say, uh, kind of how, how did you develop that, that marketing skill perhaps in Waco that then transferred into uh, at the Texas State Aquarium? Well, I, I mean, most of my, my time in the horse racing industry was in marketing and communication. So I, I brought that with me already. And then, you know, while I was in volunteering in Waco, they had me doing things beyond what the normal volunteers do. At one point, I was running their website for them and going to their senior staff meetings. So I, 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 I brought that to the table. and I was able to learn from the events and different things there, kind of how Zoos and Aquariums do things a little differently than I was used to in the horse racing world. Um, and then Texas State Aquarium, you know, they were just leaping off at that point. This was around 2012. They were just leaping off into social media. And that's something I'd been doing already in my career. And so there were there parts of what I'd been doing that I could bring there to help them build an audience. Um, and also just crisis communication. I mean, you don't spend 20 years in a sport with live people and live animals and not have crisis. And so that was one of the things that appealed um, at the Texas State Aquarium to my former boss there, Tom Schmidt, was, I had that crisis experience already because same thing at zoos and aquariums, you have live animals and you have live people and you never know what's gonna happen any day. And that kind of experience can be really valuable. Yeah. Richard, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the relationship of having the botanical garden, you know, as part of the, the, the experience there, because, you know, you see a lot of other zoos and it, it seems to be a tag on, you know, it's the zoo, blah, 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 and botanical garden. And obviously, you know, the, the environment and the ecosystem is critical to the animals and vice versa. So um, can you talk a little bit about how that relationship works and how important it is? Sure. So I, I will tell you, quite honestly, up to this point, in some ways, it has been a little bit tag on for us. So um, we are officially designated as a botanical garden. And we have some small, beautiful garden areas, but the botanical gardens goes throughout the zoo. 
um, what we haven't done a good job of is really telling that story. Um, it goes back to the storytelling. We, we really haven't connected that very well to why that's important for the zoo, because there's so much of what we grow here and what we use here that ends up going into habitats. It may be used for forage for the animals. It may be for enrichment. Um, but we haven't gone to the place where we're starting to do really tours just of the botanical gardens and educating the public on why the two matter together. Um, so that's one of the things we're working on. We're, we're starting, we have just started a strategic planning process. We actually um, started our first live meetings on that last week. And so that's gonna be part of it is trying to figure out, you know, overall, what does our story need to be going forward? How do we tie all those together into one really cohesive, um, you know, conservation and sustainability story that fits Central Florida? And I mean, if you, if you come to the zoo, even just driving in, it's just lush and beautiful. You drive through this and you open up into clearance and there's the zoo. When you're walking through the zoo, it's one of the more naturalistic zoos you'll walk through. Certainly not like your typical city zoo that's you know concrete and a few trees here or there. Um, it, it really is a large part of who we are, but we haven't told that story well. Mm. Can you actually expand on on the storytelling aspect of it? And that you know, you said it a few minutes ago. There are so many stories that um, that you have the opportunity to tell, or that or that haven't been told yet. Uh, kind of you know, looking back to you know your your marketing background and that being a, a huge focus. What have been some of or I would say maybe maybe some additional opportunities or kind of the maybe the importance of that storytelling as it connects guests with the overall mission of the zoo and where that where that storytelling plays a role in it. Sure, I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up a little bit and tell you a little bit about, so, so as I started researching before I came on board here, what I saw in our marketing communications was it was very transactional. It was very much, we have this event by a ticket for this event. Um, we have this special day come for this special day and there weren't stories, there just weren't. Uh, there might be something like this animal's having a birthday or those kinds of things, but very rarely were they telling what they were doing in terms of conservation work. and. Um, so we actually have uh, the Orion Center for Conservation, which is 30 miles away, is a separate um, facility that we own that does work on conservation for indigo snakes. Uh, it's something we've been doing for years. We breed them, we re-release them out back into the environment. Um, in the last five years, we've released almost 250 snakes back into the environment, both in Alabama and Florida. Um, really important species and endangered species. And that's a story we haven't told well. We're just starting to tell, but work that's been going on for quite a while. And we are, for AZA, we are the lead institution on that species and trying to repopulate that species and get it back into the wild. So great work that's being done, large investment and time and, and resources from us to try to do that work. But, you know, all we do is every once in a while put out a press release and not really follow up on it that said, hey, we released some snakes. And we didn't tell that full story. Um, you know, we have a number of endangered animals here on site. Several of them are involved in breeding programs that we try to breed them as AZA tells us we can at different times. And, you know, the work that goes on with that and trying to learn how to get better at doing those things, like those are all stories we can tell. And so, you know, there, there's just a lot of aspects like that that change the way the public thinks about you. Right now, the public sees us largely as a place to come, to have a good time, to see some animals, maybe go to the splash park and let your kids play, but they don't necessarily view us as a conservation expert or organization. There are some that do, 
most of our closer allies because they learn about those things. But if someone hasn't been here before, we don't, we haven't traditionally, that's not why they came. That's not the messaging they saw that brought them there. And so we're not creating that emotional connection that needs to be there for someone to want to support an organization long-term and feel like they're part of something that makes a difference. And that's what we really want is, yeah, we want everyone to come here and have a great time. We want them to have a great experience and a lot of fun and take all the pictures and, and you know, really enjoy the time they have with their friends and family they bring. But we also want them to walk away feeling like coming here led to something important, that they can be part of something that matters. And so, you know, that's where the storytelling really comes in. And that also is where your entire community starts to see you differently when they start to see those things you're doing that impact their lives on a daily basis, that impact the environment around them. And I, I think we've done so much of that good work and we haven't talked about it nearly as much as we should have. And so that's where I see a real opportunity is to start connecting with people on a different level. So this might be kind of a related question, but what are some of those challenges that you have when you are trying to tell your conservation story um, or you know the, the things that you're doing even behind the scenes? As a former Central Florida resident, if I heard you were releasing snakes, I'm not sure I would think that was positive, right? <laughs> but I'm sure, like you said, it's great for the environment, very important species. I'd have to know why, of course, in the story behind that. But I'm just curious from a marketing standpoint, maybe even from a psychology standpoint, what are those challenges you're facing communicating that story of conservation to the public? I think part of it is kind of a little what you just hit on. They're complicated stories. You know, it's, and especially when you're talking about species that aren't maybe the cute, cuddly, furry that, that everyone wants to see. If we were releasing panda bears out into the wild, um, everyone would be really excited about that. You're right. Um, and, and it is knowing those stories. So those, those snakes actually um, eat other snakes. Uh, in particular, they'll eat venomous snakes and other things. They do a lot of things that are positive for the environment but it's a complicated story to tell and they're snakes and people are scared of snakes a lot of times. So getting people excited about that. But I think when you start to tell that story repeatedly enough different ways and find those angles that make it a little more interesting, what, what about these snakes is special and different? Why does this matter to me? It, it does, it does touch on more people, but that other, the other part of it is we realize that is one of our challenges. Our marquee conservation program isn't as appealing as it could be to some audiences because it's snakes. And we realize that and it's fantastic work and we're proud of it and we'll keep doing it. Um, but we also realize we have to be able to tell stories about the other conservation work we do that may be species that are easier for people to say, oh yeah, that excites me. So one of the things we're right doing now we're doing is we're in the middle of a capital campaign to expand our amber leopard habitat because we have a breeding pair. And AZA said, you can breed them. But what we don't have in the habitat right now is enough space to breed them and raise their offspring. So we are trying to raise money to expand that habitat in order to be able to do that next year. Um, that's going to be a species that people are excited to hear that and see that. Big cats are something people love, especially in this state. That's, that's true. And so, you know, that'll be a story we're able to tell more as that goes along. But you know, anytime you do those, there's two parts to those stories. There's the part about here are these beautiful animals that are now going to help perpetuate their species. There's only a few hundred left in the world, but what happens when you breed them and nothing happens? Then you've got the story of, you know, you still want to tell the story. 
it's it's hard to sustain these species. So, you know, looking at it from different angles and going, it's not just the cute babies. It's not, you know, there there are just a lot of layers to these stories, and it is complicated to tell them in a way that is bite-sized for social media. Mm-hmm. I think video is going to be one of the real keys to our storytelling, brief videos, because people will sit and watch that and, and go a little further than they will just reading. But uh, it's it's got to be brief. Yeah. Hmm. And that was actually going to be what I was going to ask is the way that the storytelling might might change or might differ slightly based on the purpose. And, and based on just, just what you're saying, it, it sounds like there, uh, there are a few different goals. One would be from a marketing standpoint. Uh, so people would to attract visitors to say, I want to go to Central Florida Zoo because of XYZ. Uh, another from a guest experience standpoint saying, I had a great time because I learned that X, Y, Z, and, and now I can do this and, and, and whatnot. Uh, and another from a, fun, a fundraising, fun, excuse me, fundraising standpoint, uh, to be able to raise the funds towards, uh, towards expanding and being able to continue the mission. So how does the storytelling differ at each stage or for each goal that is uh, seeking to be accomplished? Typically, the best way to do it, you, you come up with one really good story and then you pull pieces from it for the different kind of platforms you're using and for the different audiences. And that that a lot of it is knowing and understanding your audiences and what they're looking for. Um, I will say when it comes to the fundraising side, when it comes to the, the marketing side, um, you know, my, my boss when I was at the Florida Aquarium, he said, I don't know how many times, no margin, no mission. And he's right. So, you know, if we want to do that kind of conservation work, we've got to have the money to be able to do it. And so, you know, a lot of us would love for it to just be about the conservation and not have to worry about the money part of it, but it's it's part of the reality. And that's why the storytelling, the marketing portion of it is so important, is if you can hook people and, and they get that real sense of emotional connection, then you keep them coming back. So those stories have to, to have that emotional portion to them. Um, you know, it, it, it when you look at, you know, what do you use for different audiences, um, you know, some people have different reasons why they want to give. And so you have to really think about, you know, does someone want to give, you have to learn about those people. Do, do they want to give because they really believe in education? Do they want to give because it's about animals and animal welfare? Is it about sustainability? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different reasons why people give. And so a lot of times your audience determines what your message is going to be if you're doing it right. Would you also say, and you've worked at a number of different facilities, that that same mindset can be used for employees as well? Because obviously you have people that take care of animals, you have people that you know do all kinds of different things at the zoo, um, horticulturalist, I'm sure, for the botanical garden. So do you find that that same sort of mindset or approach to kind of finding out about them and then determining the message from there also you know, keys in on employees? I think it does. And I will say, you know, it's one of the reasons I wanted to be at this size institution, being at a place where we have a little over 100 employees, I can know everybody and get to know my team and understand them. That's that's the way I've always approached management is to get to know everyone on my team, not just as workers, but as human beings, as individuals. And you understand that and you start to understand what motivates different people. And there are some people that want recognition for the things they did publicly. And there are other people that would like no part of that. They're happy to hear that privately. And, and that's those those are the kind of things you have to learn. And there are certain people that, you know, saying that a job well done is enough. For some people, it is. For other people, it's about money. For other people, 
It's about, you know, being able to shine in front of other people. So I think really getting to know your people and understanding that and, and modeling that to your leadership team and making sure they're taking the time to get to know their people, I think that's important. Um, I, I do think when you understand your audience, no matter what audience it is, you're able to communicate with them better. I, I wouldn't say, you know, if I'm talking to my team, the, the end message is still going to be the same, but the approach may be different with different people because of understanding how they may react to it. Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, you talk about getting to know your team and the, the importance of that. Uh, so over the last 12 weeks or so, I, I'm curious, what have, what have you done to get to know the, uh, you said it's, it's about 100 people, so it's kind of the, the perfect size property for you. For, um, so what have, what have you been doing to get to know your team? So it's been a combination of things. Um, we've had a few all staff meetings where just kind of talk and interact with everybody. Um, I think the biggest thing for me, and this will be a work in progress forever, is every morning I try to walk the zoo before we open and people are out working and I'm stopping and talking to them and learning more about what they do, um, letting them tell me about, for example, especially with the animal care staff, that there's nothing that they love more than telling you about their animals that they take care of. You know, some of their idiosyncrasies, the things they love about them, some of their, their you know, habits that they have that you might not expect, the way they react to different things. So having those conversations, for me, that's great because that's information that, number one, fascinating for me. Number two, gives me great content. If I'm going to give a tour to somebody, I've got a little more knowledge about that individual animal. Um, and for them, it gives them the opportunity to tell me about the great things they're doing for me to understand and be able to say, that's awesome that you know this or that you've done this with this animal or you recognize that you know they needed some stimulation and so you brought out something that smelled different than they're used to to, to, to get them interested. I mean, there's so many things they do. And so I, I think in all areas, it's just kind of stopping and having those conversations with people that sometimes are about work and sometimes they're not about work. But that's, that's really, you know, a lot of it, obviously only 12 weeks in, I've gotten to know a lot of the administrative staff more than I've gotten to know a lot of the people across the board. And I'm trying to get slowly, I'm not the greatest at remembering names. So that's a little bit of an impediment for me. Um, but I'm trying to have conversations with everyone I can and make sure I'm approachable. I want my team to know they can come and talk to me whenever they want. If I'm walking through the zoo, don't go, oh, look, there's the CEO, look, you know, don't, don't bother him. I, I want them to bother me. I, I wanna hear what's going on and I wanna understand what they're feeling. So, um, you know, I try to keep an open door policy even when I am in the office every time I can when I'm out at meetings, but I, I just, I, I'm trying to get as much time one-on-one -on -one with people as I can, because I feel like that's where, where you really get that understanding of, you know, how they tick, what matters to them and, and give them an opportunity to see what matters to me. Because I think from the leaders I've had, the ones that were passionate about the mission, the ones that really cared, you knew it. You knew the difference between the ones that did and the ones that knew how to say all the right things. And I want to make sure my team knows this matters to me. Like it, it, it is important to me. And I think if they understand that and they know that, they're going to much more want to be part of something than if they don't. And that's what I want is I want a team. I know they're already passionate about what they do. I want to make a team that we can all row in the same direction because they realize we all have that same goal. Yeah.
Well, and Richard, you just kind of talked about some of your previous leaders. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they see the, the position CEO, ooh, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to be able to, to lead the organization. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that go into that. And you were just kind of giving us a little glimpse uh, into that. One of the things I would love to hear a little bit about is from all the different places you've worked, you know, from, you know, horse racing to, you know, aquariums to the, to the space center, what are some of those key lessons that you've taken away from those experiences that have helped you step into this role as CEO? Sure. So I, I would say it would be a combination of, of experiences of those leaders. And also, I was fortunate enough um, to go through the AZA's Executive Leadership Development Program. And there were some lessons I took away from that that definitely had helped, too. One of the ones I learned there was once you reach a certain level in your career, people are watching everything you do. Literally, you know, every word you say, everything you do has an impact. So being very intentional and thinking about what you're saying and thinking about the impact it might have and realizing if you're in a leadership position and you offhandedly in a meeting say, oh, we should try this. People take that as an edict, go do this. And that may not be at all what you intended. So being conscious of that and really being intentional about how you handle your business and how you talk and also the way you come across. So if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're stressed, your team picks up on that. And so if something goes wrong and there's a problem and their leader seems very stressed and doesn't seem to be handling it well, they're not going to handle it well either. So learning how to make sure those things don't come across, that even if you're screaming inside, what they see is everything's under control and everything's going to be okay. Because in the end it is, but in the moment it doesn't always feel that way. So I, I think that's one of the most important lessons I learned was really being intentional about not just what I say, but also how I come across. Um, I, I've had some great leaders that really taught me from their own lessons. And one of the big lessons they've had, and especially my boss, uh, William Harris at Space Center Houston, um, he said he came in that first year and he saw so many things he needed to do and so many things that needed to change. And he started to try to do them all. And what he realized very quickly was the staff couldn't possibly handle that much change that fast. And learning how to temper his own expectations and start to do things at a more measured pace in order to be something the staff could handle and get behind instead of just burning people out. And I totally get it. Like e even when I was working there, I saw a lot of that. And so I come in here and it's the same thing. Yes, there, there are plenty of things that we wanna change long-term and do things some things differently but there's only so fast I can expect people to change. And so trying to make sure I go at a pace that makes everyone stay comfortable with it. Um, because this, I mean, that's, it's very cliche, um, but it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It, it just, you know, this is, anytime you go into a new organization, there are gonna be challenges and they're gonna take time to solve them. And if you try to solve them all instantly, not only are you not gonna solve them instantly, you're gonna create chaos and you're gonna burn yourself out. So those are some of the lessons I've learned. And I'll, I'll be honest too, some of the best lessons I've learned have been from my bosses that did things that I learned I was not going to do. So I, I think, you know, I've been fortunate to have some really good leaders to work under. And I've also been fortunate to have some leaders that maybe weren't quite so good, um, but they taught me a lot. And I, I will make plenty of my own mistakes. I know that. Um, there'll be plenty of times I fall into holes I probably shouldn't, but I, I've had the fortune of, of learning under some really good people, and it has it has helped me to avoid already 
some things that I might have otherwise not avoided. Yeah. I, so when you're trying to avoid uh, doing so many things at once and rather kind of doing it more in a, in a, I would say targeted approach, kind of the, um, what is it? It's the, the hare and the hedgehog and the book, good to great, trying to think of, of what that analogy was of trying to do all this at once versus, versus being a little bit more, more targeted. I curious as far as managing that you just, you just come in, you're, you know, you're here for 12 weeks so far. Uh, you've probably, you know, come across so many things to saying, we should do this, we should do this, we should look into this, we should explore this. Uh, how have you been able to kind of maybe take that and filter it through and say, okay, this is what we need to do right now, and then we can move on to the next initiative? It hasn't been easy, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, every day you're seeing new things, being exposed to new things, and you know, obviously you're going to have opinions on all of them. And I, I would say for me, a lot of it has been, I came in and I told the board when, when they hired me, I'm going to come in and I'm going to sit back and I'm going to learn the people and I'm going to learn what we do. And I'm going to really make sure I understand the organization before I make any substantial changes. Um, you know, and maybe we won't need any substantial changes, but I want to make sure that I'm not doing anything reactively. So that's what I've really set out to do. And there have been times that I've had to make decisions sooner than I would have liked on some things just because circumstances dictate that, you know, something breaks, you've got to fix it or, you know, you know, so you, you, you have to figure out how to use the budget the way you can based on that. But, but I would say, you know, a lot of it's been sitting back and, and through the filter that I have of, of just what is the highest and best use of my time? What's going to move the needle the most? So my natural inclination with my background in marketing communications to come in and go, well, let's, let's immediately do all these things in marketing communications, but the realization is there. That's an important part, but establishing relationships in the community and really making sure we have the support on a larger scale is more important. So taking the time to be that external face that, that they wanted me to be when they hired me, taking the time to invest in the community and then saying, I'll keep learning this and we'll figure out some of this together bit by bit. But, but really trying to keep that focus of what is the highest and best use of that time, because there's only one of me. There's only so much I can do. If I try to tackle too many things, all of them are going to be done okay, but not great. And that's not going to meet the expectation I've got. I want us to be a top-notch facility. And that means that the approach we have for each individual thing we're doing needs to be doing it the right way and putting the right time into it. And so I'm, it, it's, it's a balancing act. It, it's definitely difficult at times to figure out what that most important thing is. So I'm trying to be patient, not only with situations, but with myself, because there are days that I just want to run with something. And then I realize that's not what I need to run with. Um, it, it's, you know, I think one of the great things though, in being in a position like this is it's just such a reminder every day, we are lifelong learners. And if you ever think you're the smartest person in the room at any moment, you're not. And keeping that in mind and really having that ability to listen to people and sit back and think about what they said and take it in and, and determine where to go from there with the input from, from different people and different perspectives is so important. And that's been helpful to me too, is I, I came into a situation where, you know, our, our zoo director that works right below me, she's been here 22 years. So, you know, there are times that her perspective can help me go, okay, maybe that's not the direction we need to go right now that can wait. Mm -hmm. um, so that's part of it too, is learning to listen to people and understand, you know, there are times that their counsel is gonna be really important in 
how I need to structure how I use my time and energy. You know, two things in that response really stuck out to me as you talked about balance and listening. Um, because one of the other things we talked about a little earlier were, were the audiences, right, that we're, that we're speaking to. And one thing dawned on me, too, a lot of things dawned on me as you were talking about that. Um, but the fact that, you know, as CEO, you, you are interfacing and interacting with the board, right? And you've got your team, the employees, you've also got the public, and they may all have very different views of what should happen, what the zoo should do, you know, that kind of thing, what direction you should go. Um, and that's, I think, where the, the concepts of balance and listening really came in, you know, for me. And I kind of wondered what goes on in your head when maybe those three, the, those three audiences are saying different things, right? And, and you have to sort of be the, the person that says, whoa, you know, we have to bring these groups together and figure out the right direction to go. So I'm just kind of curious about that kind of thought process for you. Yeah. And I, I think that for me, that really goes back to kind of the base who I am as a professional and as a person, which is um, I am a relationship builder. I, I meet people, I build relationships, I build them to last and sustain, and I connect those things. So if I've built a good foundation with you and you know you can trust me, you know what I'm saying is what I'm going to do, then you're gonna be more willing to listen to me when you disagree with me and try to find a place where we can compromise. And so I think because I approach every relationship that way, whether it's my personal life or professional life, I try to spend time with people, get to know them and find out, you know, how do we communicate best? So then when you have moments like that, where you've got a board that thinks one thing, you've got a staff that thinks one thing, you've got a public that thinks something else, being able to have those relationships to go to those groups and say, look, you know me, here are our issues, here's where I think we need to go and let's talk this through then they're more willing to do that because they know genuinely I'm going to listen to them. We're going to have a dialogue and I'm going to be looking for that win-win and compromise position. I'm not going to be that guy that says, no, we're doing this my way. Um, and so I think for me, those issues don't tend to be as difficult as they may be for some people, just because that's the way I approach all relationships. And I feel like that foundation, once you've built it with people, it, it's something you can work with for years. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I don't often find that there's someone that I just can't work with um, or that doesn't want to do that. Uh, every once in a while, you're going to run across that one person that says it's got to be my way. But even at that, usually you've got a majority that's going to overrule them. So it sounds like it's a very uh, collaborative approach uh, and at the same time being being proactive and, and kind of anticipating, hey, down the road, we might need to have a conversation where perhaps we disagree. So uh, I'm going to make as many deposits as I can to to build the relationship and, and strengthen that. So when it comes time to have that conversation, it's uh, it's it's much easier and not not out of the blue. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so earlier you shared uh, a couple of lessons that uh, that you've gained along the way as far as of when you reach a certain point in your career, you know, everyone's attention focused on you as well as, you know, not trying to do everything at once, but, you know, being, being more targeted. Uh, curious as far as advice that you would give perhaps to aspiring executives. Sure. So I, I think the one that comes to mind immediately to me is um, so many positions now, and I saw this, especially marketing communications are so niche and you you do one little small thing and you do it really well and you get rewarded for that you keep moving up that one little small thing find ways to add other things to your resume 
if you have an opportunity to do something and it means you're going to have to put in extra hours and overtime, but it gives you the opportunity to add to your skill set, do it. Take advantage of those things. And if you don't have those opportunities, go find somewhere to volunteer and get the kinds of skills you need on your resume to move on up. I've spent my entire career teaching myself computer programs, going and volunteering places to get skills, doing things. I, I mean, I have a four-year psychology degree. Um, this is not what I should be doing based on my education. But, you know, I, I had places I wanted to go and I put the effort and time in to learn the things I needed to keep advancing. That's what you've got to do. You can't expect that because you've been somewhere for a certain length of time, you're going to get a promotion. Or if you don't put that extra effort, it's going to be enough. If you want to get to this level, you have to put a lot of work into it. It's not, it's not easy and it's not glamorous. Um, but you know, for me, that work is worth it because the higher I rise in the ranks, the more impact I'm able to have. And for me, you know, animal conservation, education, sustainability, having a real impact in those things and helping a, an organization raise its impact, that's what really matters to me. I want at the end of my career to say, I did something that mattered. Um, and I also want it to be about the group and the team and not just about me. I like from a personal standpoint, I'm an introvert. I don't really love having the spotlight. It's not really my thing. I do it because I want the impact for the organization. Um, so I, I think a lot of it is, you know, as you look at your career, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And if you want to be in a position like this, understand it stops being about you. And if you, if you think it's about you, if that's the reason you are trying to get there, then you're not going to be successful when you get there. Um, you, you have to care about that mission and they, you know, in, in other kind of industries that may work, but when you're talking about nonprofits, it, it, if you don't really genuinely care about that mission, if, if it's not real to you, you're not going to be successful. If it's all about you, everyone's going to see that and feel that. Yeah. And I think that's true in any leadership role. Uh, right. And, and, you know, you mentioned other industries, but, you know, once you kind of take that attitude that, you know, I'm about making you successful, you know, that's, that's where the, the magic happens, right? When it's about me being successful, then that's where people can kind of see through that. And there's a, there's a, I think a lack of trust in, in that kind of relationship. Um, so I, I appreciate you, you saying that, um, uh, uh, that, you know, kind of putting it in that, in that perspective. Um, I would also maybe challenge a little bit. And you said, you know, you have this four-year psychology degree. I think you're using it well, right? Because it's, it's all about people and, and building relationships and things like that. So um, how has that psychology background, we talked about marketing, but how has that psychology background really helped you? I think, you know, I think it's just maybe helped in understanding people. Um, understanding different communication styles, uh, understanding body language, and how to know when someone's being triggered by something in a way that might be negative, and when it might be time to back off of a conversation or try a different tact, a lot of those kind of things. Um, you know, I, I, I will say those kinds of things are things that kind of always came naturally to me. So the psychology degree was Kind of an easy natural way to go because <laughs> because that was the way my mind goes anyway um but I, I think what's what's useful about it sometimes is a lot of times the organizational side of psychology and understanding group dynamics um because when you start looking at when you managing you start managing people you start seeing 
what individuals do when they're in groups isn't always what that individual would do when they're outside of a group and understanding how that impacts their behavior. I think that's probably the place that's been most helpful. Cool. Well, Richard, this has been uh, just such a, a fascinating conversation. We really appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat with you today. As we start to wind this down, if people wanted to learn more about the Central Florida Zoo and Botanical Garden, or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Sure. So uh, our website is centralfloridazoo.org. Um, we've got Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. So if they want to follow us on any of those, uh, if they want to reach out to me, probably the best thing to do easily is um, they can either go to LinkedIn and look me up there, or they can email me directly at richardg at centralfloridazoo.org. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Richard, like Josh said, this has been a great conversation. Really enjoyed hearing uh, all about what you've been doing in the last 12 weeks and, and before that, um, and all about your passion for conservation and the animals. So thank you very much for your time. And thank you, everybody who's been watching and listening. And just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release, and even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.